Good morning, beloved. It is uh, a distinct pleasure to come before you again and open the Word and share the insights um, into God's Word and to um, be stimulated and encouraged together. If you don't know me, my name is Alan Reeb. I'm a lay elder here at Restoration Road Church, um, and it is um, just, again, a pleasure to um, see your smiling faces here this morning. The topic of the morning is parenting with wisdom. So before those of you who aren't parents tune me out and take a mental vacation, I want to encourage you that I hope to have something to say to everyone here this morning. I have been laboring over this topic for about two months since Pastor Mike gave this to me. I know what you're thinking. You've had two months to prepare and this is all we're going to get? Well, hold on, hold on. Maybe offer a judgment in a half hour. But initially, and the last two months, I have felt the weight of this topic for a number of reasons. Um, I am well aware of a lot of our cultural and social issues happening currently in our country that pertain to marriage and parenting. And so to do a study on parenting has been a challenge. I have evaluated and, and assessed my own parenting. Um, my wife Donna and I have raised uh, three children who are now adults, two of whom are married with their own families. So we have um, gone through the process of teenage years and 16-year-olds learning to drive and all of the joys that come with parenting challenges. Um, so I have felt the weight of this on just a number of fronts. So I hope that you'll hear what I have to say. You'll um, accept it with the humility that it's presented, for I am far, far from perfect or accomplished or an expert in this subject. But as I have opened the scriptures and looked and have sought God's face, I think that he wants me to say a few things. About 25 years ago, I was invited to a dinner in Bellevue. Um, I've been a painting contractor for 44 years and still am semi-retired, but 25 years ago, I was in the, the, the throngs of my business with about 25 employees, and a painting company in Bellevue that I bought a lot of paint from invited me to a dinner at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Nice place. And the only reason we went there was because they didn't have any availabilities at Daniel Broiler, a nicer steakhouse. But Ruth Chris with nothing to shake a stick at. So I was invited to this dinner, and at this dinner was the CEO of the paint company. And they had just recently merged with a Canadian paint company, and the CEO of that paint company was at this dinner as well. The regional sales representative was there, my own personal sales rep, and the manager of the paint store in Bellevue that I dealt with. I said, what in the world am I doing here? This was, this was a pretty highfalutin, high-flying dinner. Well, they, I think I was the last name on the list that was available to come or something, but I said, yes, I'm, I'll show up, and, and I did. And during the course of the dinner, it was really quite a delightful time of conversation. And as topics moved away from the industry, we started sharing about things that we did in our off time. And 
at that point in time, we had a, a house full of teenagers, and those of you who have a house full of teenagers knows that your off hours is pretty much consumed with business around your, the life of your teenagers, as was, our, as was ours. So I was just sharing about my family, and very quickly came to realize that these six executives that I was having a dinner with, they were all married, and none of them had children. I was initially shocked. I said, that is so out of my world, it just seemed very, very strange to me. You see, my world currently, as an elder in this church, every one of the elders and the elder candidates is married and has a family. All of the six couples that make up my road group are married with children, and most of them have grandchildren. My world has always been surrounded by people that are married and have children, have families. That seemed to be the norm. But I came face to face with the reality that it's not the norm in many people's lives. I don't know their personal story. I don't know why they were in the position that they were, these executives. But I do know that there is a spirit of the age that is in contrast in many ways to the Christian worldview. What do I mean by that? The Bible says in Psalm 127.3, a very familiar verse to you, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. That's at the heart of the Christian worldview when it comes to family. That children are a blessing. Children are to be adored. Children are to be not worshipped, not centered your life around, but a wonderful addition to your life and a reward. But the spirit of the age says, wait a minute, children are expensive. Children are messy. Children are time-consuming. Children are a bother. Children are dot, 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 fill in the blank. And the spirit of the age speaks loud and clear sometimes, and we need to be able to understand it and refute it. But this is nothing new. For Isaiah, 3,500 years ago, made this statement in chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. See, the spirit of the age says we don't know the future. The future is very potentially dark. The future is unknown. Why bring a child into a world where you can't predict the future and know that their future is going to be secure? Don't do it. So we have celebrities and politicians who proclaim, I'm taking the moral high ground. I am not going to bring a child into this world because the future is bleak. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. It's nothing new. It takes a different form in our culture and in our age, but it's nothing new. We're told today that there are 20-plus gender choices, and you can choose whatever one you want. We are told that cohabitation before marriage is not just expected, but advised. You've got to test drive the car before you, you buy it off the lot. Same-sex marriage 
is something that's enshrined in our law. We are told that we need to accept and celebrate any and every kind of lifestyle that people choose today. Really? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I want to cover five points this morning. I know preachers go more than three. You don't remember. But I will assume that you are an exceptional crowd and you can remember five. So I've outlined my, my thoughts in five points. And I think everyone here will be covered under one of these five points. What is the, what is the Christian worldview when it comes to life? when it comes to marriage, when it comes to children, when it comes to grandparenting. Scripture has something to say about all of these things. First and foremost, you, every one of you here, is an image bearer of your Creator. Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Each one of you bears the image of of God. And as a result of that, your life is worth worthy and is dignified and has inherent value. There are no mistakes in God's created order. There are no no oops in what God has done, what he has created. All of you, all of us are created in God's image and are worthy and with great dignity. So the first point in this Christian worldview that I'm making this morning is that every human on the face of the earth bears the image of its creator, bears God's image. And what does the book of Proverbs say is the beginning of understanding our place in God's created order? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of that wisdom. So the first step, the first most important thing to understand is that your relationship with God is of primary importance. Whether signal or married or unmarried, whatever your status in life is, the most important thing is your relationship with your Creator. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's repeated throughout the book of Proverbs, as we have seen, and it will be repeated again. So getting your relationship right with God, initially right with God, is the first place to start. Understanding your spiritual life, understanding your brokenness with sin, understanding the sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross for us, understanding the forgiveness that he offers, accepting that forgiveness and being reborn. That's the beginning. That's where it starts. That's where life in this beautiful kingdom is where it, 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 is where it initiates. The fear of the Lord is that beginning of wisdom. First, we are all image bearers. Secondly, as the verse stated that we just read, God created us male and female. Oh, that's radical. That's, that's, you don't want to touch that one. <laughs> I think I do want to touch that one. Male and female, that, you, there's two choices. And my four-year-old grandchild can answer the question, what is a woman better than a Supreme Court justice? Our culture has gone crazy, okay? It's gone crazy. God created male and female, moms and dads, men and women, boys and girls. 
I understand that there is a very small part of our population that has what's called dysphoria. And there's help available. But it's so small. The vast, vast majority of people understand this statement to be true, that God has created male and female. The third point, again from the book of Genesis, a wise theologian said all good theology starts in Genesis. If we miss Genesis, the first couple of chapters, we're going to get off really quickly. So we always go back to Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Therefore, what, what's the therefore, therefore? Right after woman was created out of the side of man, and he looked at her, Adam said to Eve, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Therefore, the next logical step was ah, marriage. This, I want a relationship with this creation. Yes, I'm attracted to this creation. I want a commitment with this creation, with this woman that God has made for me, a helpmate, a perfect, perfect helpmate that complements him and compliments her. Marriage was the next step in Genesis. And the fourth step, fatherhood and motherhood. I have grown recently not to like the word parenting very much because it's being used in some really strange ways in our culture currently. So I like the word motherhood and fatherhood. That defines the roles of a mom and dad better than, than parenting. If you'll remember, in the 90s, Dan Quayle was vice president to George H.W. Bush. And a sitcom appeared on most home TVs at that time called Murphy Brown. And for the first time, in a very open and revealing way, the character that played Murphy Brown in the sitcom showed the life of a single parent that was chosen. She chose to become a single parent. And the show showed the beauty of it and the simplicity of it and the, 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 the wise choice that she made. And the vice president, Dan Quayle, at the time made an unscripted remark saying, you know, we really shouldn't highlight and acknowledge and celebrate single parenthood. And if you were there at the time, you remember, he was not treated very well in the press. He was lambasted, he was scolded, he was scorned. How dare you make such statements? How dare you make such proclamations? What are you talking about? Single parenthood is a wonderful thing. I know that there are single parents here. I know some of you have struggled with single parenthood. You understand the challenges of being a single parent. Maybe some of you have chosen single parenthood for any number of reasons. I am not here in any way, shape, matter, or form here to scold you, to say you aren't measuring up, to say God isn't blessing you, to, God, to saying that God doesn't come alongside you and assist you and help you and support you. I'm saying none of that. I'm simply saying, as a cultural standard, single parenthood 
is a really hard cultural phenomenon. Why do I say that? In 1960, there was 9.1% of all American households were run by a single parent. The latest statistics that I've been able to find from 2017, that figure has moved up to 25% of all American households are run by a single parent. 86% of all of those single parent households in the U.S. are led by a woman, by a mom. Amongst the white population, 20.7% have single parent, have, have, have the children in, let me state this correctly, of the white population in the U.S., those that do not, children, those families that have children that are not living with their biological father, in the white population, it's 20.7%. In the Hispanic population, it's 42%. And in the black population, it's 64%. Amongst baby boomers, who I am one of them, 87.7% spent their childhood in a home with two parents. Today, only 68% of American children spend their entire childhood in a home with two parents. 85% of youths 18 or younger that are in prison today came from a fatherless home. 71% of high school dropouts came from a home without a father present. 90% of homeless and runaway youth come from a home without a father. 60% of youth suicides come from a home without a father. 82% of the last 56 school shootings the shooter came from a home with severe, severely dysfunctional parents, often run by a single parent. There is a huge, huge problem in our country with single parents. Dan Quayle hit the nail on the head 30 years ago when he said we shouldn't celebrate it. The Church of Jesus Christ, and in general, and Restoration Road in particular, we have single parents among us. We are called to help and assist in any way that we can, and we are willing and wanting to do that. The challenges you face as a single parent are huge. And for whatever reason that situation exists, we're not judging, we're not, I'm not evaluating that. I'm just saying that we are here to help as a community of believers to come alongside and to help. I have a charge today to fathers and mothers. To fathers, God has given you the role of head of your household. Where does that headship start? Where does it stem from? Of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is where that starts. You have to establish your relationship with God before you can become an effective head of your household. So start with your relationship with your heavenly Father. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I hear many of you saying, well, I know that's not true. 
there are many prodigals represented by parents here today. I'm one of them. So, like Pastor Mike has said repetitively, the Proverbs are not absolute promises written in stone that we can name it and claim it. No, they're general principles of life and how life works in God's kingdom. Train up a child. It's a very interesting set of Hebrew words that train up a child. It was also used of an archer taking arrows out of his quiver and making sure that the arrow is straight and bending it if necessary so that that arrow will fly straight. That's a beautiful picture. Those of you who have had more than one ch child know that children are born with an inherent personality, and they're different from each other. They're not cookie cutters. And so there's elements of a child's personality that remains intact through their whole life. But there's part of it that is moldable, that is changeable, that like that archer's arrow can be bent to straighten it out. That's the idea with this verse. Train up a child. Bend the child in the way that he should go to the limit of your ability as a parent. And when he is old, that arrow will go straight, is the principle. Proverbs 27, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children that come after him. Dads, you need to have a walk of integrity. You can't ask for honesty of your children if you're not honest. You can't ask if you're not willing to do what you're asking your child to do. That's the heart of integrity. Realize that you're modeling, you're on display, your life is there as to set a pattern for those that come after. Your life of integrity is important. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is a delight to discipline him. There's a lot in Proverbs about the rod, sparing the rod, la da 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 You probably heard those verses quoted to you. Spare the rod, spoil the child. There's a lot to say about the rod. My emphasis this morning is you can't withhold discipline. You can't withhold discipline to your children. And you, if again you're a parent of more than one child, realize that every one of your children is differently. They respond differently to discipline. And your discipline and your correction needs to be fine-tuned to the character and nature of your child. Because they will be different. They will call you unfair because one child would be treated than another child, but you're the parent, so you understand that it's the end result that is the most important. Does the child respond to what you're doing? Maybe a timeout just isn't going to be enough for some kids. Maybe a timeout will work for some kids. Obviously, it does. But you fine-tune. You have to know your child. You have to know their character. You have to know what motivates them, what corrects them, and how to do that. Fathers, your job is a difficult one. No doubt about it. There is not a higher calling in the whole world than to train up a child in the way that he should go. Your calling and your job requirements are great. But the resource that you have with your Heavenly Father is greater. He will give you what is necessary. 
Mothers, God bless you. Bill Cosby once said to a group of men, if you want to understand what your wife goes through during labor, take your lower lip and pull it all the way around the back side of your head. That might come close. I don't know. I've never gone through labor. But I've been with my wife as she has delivered three of our babies. Um, and it's really something. It's really something. Moms, the way that God has made you is incredible. It's not acknowledged. It's not revealed. It's not portrayed. But you have to know, in the body of Christ, you are valued. You are esteemed. The way physically that God has given you the capacity to create life is a miracle. The nurturing instinct that is within you from God on high is a marvel to see. The number of single moms that step up to the plate to care for their kids when dads do not take responsibility for their children is a miracle. You are to be, you are to be not worshipped, but you are to be endowed with great dignity for the role you have as a mom. I know you're a sinner saved by grace like all of us. You have shortcomings, you have issues, you have weaknesses. But God has given you an incredible gift to be a mom. There are those among us, I know now, by now, are reacting to many things that I'm saying. It's like Mother's Day and Father's Day, Grandfather's Day, baby dedication, all rolled into one half-hour sermon, and your reactions to that are going to be varied. I understand that many of us have pain in our heart for the way that we were raised, in thinking about our own parents and how we were treated or we have guilt and shame for the way that we parented. Or maybe we're not parents, but want to be desperately and can't for whatever reason or aren't yet. Hear my heart, please. I am not wanting to create more pain than already exists in your life if you find yourselves in those categories. I don't. I might be trying to describe an ideal. There's nothing wrong with the ideal. We seek for the ideal vacation. We look for the ideal house. We look for an ideal car. Why can't we look for the ideal when it comes to relationships and marriage and, and parenting? That's a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a good thing to want the ideal. Lastly and fifthly, grandparenting. I don't remember many sermons when I was growing up, but it was literally about 50 years ago in my home church back in Illinois, I distinctly remember the senior pastor, the day that he preached after the previous week becoming a grandparent for the first time. He made a few statements, something to the effect of, I can't quote him verbatim because it was 50 years ago. 
he said something to the effect of, now that he was a grandparent, he crossed that threshold into this chapter of his life and became a grandparent. He said, there's something about being a grandparent that just completes life. It fulfills life. It, it brings a different element than existed the week previous, before he was a grandparent. That stuck in my head. For some reason, it stuck in my head 50 years later. I've been a grandparent now for 10 years. We have six. Hopefully we'll get more, but we have six. I love being a grandparent. It is one of the joys of life. I see many heads nodding who are grandparents as well. It's hard to explain. I have told both of my kids that have blessed us with grandkids that the reaction I have to those kiddos, it's hard to put into words. Joy, pleasure, satisfaction, yes, yes, yes. Beyond that, those, those don't cover it all that well. There's more to it than that. Why do I say this? To those who are in the throngs of diapers and little ones, look ahead. Look down the road, if you can, 20 years, 25 years. I don't know if God will bless you with grandkids, but if he does, it will be wonderful. It will be marvelous. You will be ecstatic. And that's why some parents are a little bit onerous and demanding grandkids. I would caution against that. Let it come. Let it come. But when it happens, Proverbs 17:6 says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father's. Paul Harvey, many of you know, um, was credited, although he didn't write this letter, he made it more popular. He said his letter to his grandchildren that he read on the air one day, and I'd like to read it. Paul Harvey's letter to his grandchildren. He said, we tried so hard to make things better for our kids that we made them worse. For my grandchildren, I'd like better. I'd really like them to know about hand-me-down clothes and homemade ice cream and leftover meatloaf sandwiches. I really would. I hope you learn humility by being humiliated and that you learn honesty by being cheated. I really hope nobody gives you a brand new car when you are 16. It will be good if at least one time you can see puppies born and your old dog put to sleep. I hope you get a black eye fighting for something you believe in. I hope you have to share a bedroom with your younger brother or sister. And it's all right if you have to draw a line down the middle of the room. But when he wants to crawl under the covers with you because he's scared, I hope you let him. When you want to see a movie and your little brother or sister wants to tag along, I hope you let him. I hope you have to walk uphill to school with your friends and that you live in a town where you can do it safely. On rainy days when you have to catch a ride, I hope you don't ask the driver to drop you off two blocks away so no one will see that you've been riding with someone as uncool as your mom. 
If you want a slingshot, I hope your dad teaches you how to make one instead of buying one. I hope you learn to dig in the dirt and read books. And when you learn to use computers, I hope that you will also learn to add and subtract in your head. I hope that you'll get teased by your friends when you have your first crush on a boy or a girl, and when you talk back to your mother that you learn what ivory soap tastes like. <laughs> May you skin your knee climbing a mountain, burn your hand on a stove, and stick your tongue on a frozen flagpole. I don't care if you try beer once, but I hope you don't like it. And if a friend offers you a joint or dope, I hope you realize that he or she is not your friend. I sure hope you make time to sit on a porch with your grandma or your grandpa and go fishing with your uncle. May you feel sorrow at a funeral and joy during the holidays. I hope your mother punishes you when you throw a baseball through your neighbor's window and that she hugs you and kisses you at Christmas time when you give her a plaster mold of your hand. These things I wish for you, tough times and disappointment, hard work and happiness to me it's the only way to appreciate life. I somehow think that the author of that had read the book of Proverbs, for he strikes many of the themes that Solomon does. Talks about thrift, honesty, humility, hard work, good friends, making wise decisions, being virtuous, kindness, accepting discipline, learning from mistakes, and loving others. First, we are all created in God's image. Image bearers, each and every one of us, endowed with great dignity and worth. Male and female, God has created us. And he has designed for us to pursue marriage. If it's right, it's not right for everyone. But for those vast majority of us, it is right. And those feelings and those impulses to pursue that are God-given. And then, in the context of marriage, to become a father and a mother is a God-given gift. Not all will have, but the vast majority will, and it's a good thing. And then grandparenting, to get to a point in life when you can look a little kiddo in the face, and because of the experience that you have had, you can tell them, hey, things are going to turn out okay. Things are going to be all right. You're going to learn from what you're going through right now. And it's not the end of all ends. So be happy. It's a great thing to be in the family of God and to have these things true. Father in heaven, I can't help but feel that there, the sadness that there may be present in this room now for whatever reason I have said and provoked those feelings, I ask that your spirit would just come alongside and comfort and relieve and reveal that your grace is sufficient. Memories are memories, and they are part of our experience, and we have great hope in the future. Thank you that you have promised us heaven. Thank you that you have promised that every tear will be wiped away from our eyes sooner or later when we reach that place. To the young people here this morning, hearing my voice and hearing my words, I pray that you would be encouraging to them. The longing that you have placed in their heart is, in fact, from you. I pray that you would just meet the desires of that single person's heart if they are desiring a relationship and to pursue marriage.
and parenthood. Thank you this morning for your word, for Solomon's wise counsel. Thank you that we can look to it for advice and encouragement and instruction and correction, that we can stand before you blameless because of Jesus and what he has done for us. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.